0: Welcome once again to the Perimeter Church podcast. Mark Twain famously said that he deals with temptation by yielding to it. Sounds like a convenient and easy solution, but there's an even easier solution the armor of God. He's given us the tools we need to get through the temptation rather than yielding to it and enduring the consequences later. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Unseen, with this message entitled, The Unseen Armor, which covers Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Let's pray together as we prepare for the teaching of God's Word. Our Father in heaven, now we we pray that you would prepare our hearts, that we might be instructed clearly from the things you have given us in your good word that we might be able to embrace and hold and find help in time of need. And may we even step further and seek that so that we might be a greater honor to you through this week as we uh, try to serve you or those here that are trying to understand what it means to be a follower. Give them particularly great insight through the teaching of this day. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. But we live in an extremely protection-conscious society, and and rightly so. If you you think about it, it, it's a dangerous world in many respects. Uh, Probably in the physical realm, we could just list on and on how many ways we protect ourselves. If you look at a car to buy a car, you're going to find out, does it have airbags? If not, you probably won't buy it. When you look at food, many people are checking the labels carefully, don't want too much cholesterol, too many uh, you know, preservatives in there, and it just goes on and on and on. If you go into the financial realm, you know good and well that you're doing hard work to try to save as much as you possibly can for later days. You need protection during those days. Investments, whatever it may be, insurance, everybody's very insurance conscious because we know that things can happen that are unexpected and dangerous and so forth. If you look at the emotional realm, think how many people today are leaving relationships that are very dear, but because of the abuse in that relationship, they say, I I just have to protect myself. Or maybe in terms of, of people who are leaving lucrative, very good careers because they know good and well that emotionally they cannot survive the pressure and they have to protect themselves. We could just go on and on and on. You know, there is one area, and I think you probably know which one it is, there's one area that is the most dangerous of all, has the deepest consequences, and it's the one that probably we spend less time ever thinking about, and that is in the spiritual realm. You know, the Word of God has given much to say about how we protect ourselves, a whole lot more than we find about how we're to understand the evil one in all of his ways. We're in a series called The Unseen, and I'm teaching about some of the things about the evil one. But we're beginning to turn a corner because we know good and well that there's much more in Scripture to tell us of the resources we have, the way we can defend ourselves, far more than we're going to find in Scripture about the details of the evil one and his ways. So we're turning that corner now. The series is called The Unseen. If you've never been with us to date, we have already looked at things like uh, the angelic beings of the world. We've looked at at the the enemy himself called the evil one. We've looked at uh, the allies to the evil one. And now we're going to turn our attention more to the defense. And we've been given what's called the armor of God, and so in this particular week, we look at the armor of God. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This week I plan to give uh, the first of two parts of a teaching on the strategy. The strategy of the evil one. It rightly should precede what I'm teaching on today. But I've been in a stretch for about 3 weeks doing more speaking back to back to back traveling speaking and all this and we knew it was a concentrated period and I said before that hits I've got to get the message for this week and then for the next week I've got to get I've got to get those messages prepared early and so the week prior to all that happening, I started working hard and doing the previous message and so forth and getting it all ready. I had just finished it and part of the second message, and I had to go out of town. As you know, I was gone last weekend, and I was preaching out of town. And so I uh, was there, and as I was, I took my notes with me, my files with all the materials for the message that had already finally been completed, and they disappeared from the room. I mean Disappeared. I had several files, but the ones with the message for this week and the following, gone. Now, you hear that message, and I would assume that uh, there were different responses in hearing that story. Some of you said, oh, there's the evil one. Man, oh, man, look, he stole the notes, didn't he? And some of you are saying, if he says the evil one stole his notes, I'm out of here because I can't, I can't go with this sort of thing we got two types of people here, do we not? Different opinions. Well, I'd like to say a word to the two groups. First of all, to you who are our skeptical guests, maybe come in for the first time and you hear us talking about the unseen and you hear terms like the evil one, you might hear us talk about the demonic world. And some of you are saying, oh, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. I can't believe they actually believe that stuff. In this day and age, they believe that kind of stuff. All I'm going to say to you is do your homework. Do your homework. Don't, don't just assume without some investigation. Now, you may find there's a time in the battle of life that you need to understand some of the things we're talking about here. I mean that with all my heart. Important stuff. But I want to say a word to our more spiritual yet sensationalist Christians that make a a big to-do about perhaps too much. And there is, in a sense, the evil ones behind everything. I don't care what it is, whether it's a disorder, a disease, a moral failure, it's always the evil one, and there's some. It's just everywhere and only we can think about it. Don't give the evil one too much credit. So what we want to do is we want to find balance in this series. I think it's very, very important as we walk through this particular message that, that you understand what does God have to say regarding our responsibility, not what he does, but what we're supposed to do, and what are the resources available. You see, I'm convinced it's my job as the pastor of this church to equip you. I'm assuming there are people of the family of God that come here every week and say, you know, I want to be equipped for life. I don't just want to be inspired. I want to be equipped. Tell me, what, you know, help me understand. Let me know some of the things I need to know in order to live a profitable life as a follower of Jesus. And so we're delving into some areas here that are so critically important this week. I wish that I were first giving you the message that I'll give following this. This. Because that was getting into the schemes of the evil one. But I'm going to flip it around because all of my stuff gone. I didn't have time. And literally last night I finished putting together this message. I had some of my materials that uh, you know, I needed to study and so forth to, to do this message. So I'm a little out of order. But we're going to talk about the answer to what you and I are called to do. If I were to give you one word that summarizes our responsibility and the answer to the evil one in his attempt to get to us. It's this one word. If you miss everything else, remember this one word. Resist. It is the word resist. James chapter 4 verse 7, here's how it reads, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice there's two words, submit and resist. You don't just resist, you submit And then you resist. So keep both words in mind as you think about this. We yield ourselves to God, but then we say, okay, I've got a responsibility, and it is I have to resist. Well, now, how do you resist? Well, If I were to ask you, what's the plan of resistance? Many of us would say, well, I'm not really sure. Maybe, maybe. Well, let's make sure we know what the scriptures have to say about resisting. And we're going to put it under this category. Many of you familiar as Christians with the terminology, the armor of God. It's in our text in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. But I know this. I've studied the armor of God through my Christian life. I'm very familiar with the armor of God, but if you'd ask me before I started preparing this message, name the pieces of the armor, I couldn't probably tell you all of them. And certainly probably couldn't tell you in detail the meaning of each. So do you think I'm so foolish to think you're going to hear a message on this and you're going to remember them? No. So there is a bigger story that I've got to make sure you do get And the story is this The basic issue of what does it mean when you resist Well it means taking on the armor of God, very importantly But every piece of the armor that we'll look at You've been listening to, hearing messages throughout your life If you're a Christian, if you're seeking to understand the faith And you come to the faith, you'll hear this plenty you'll hear the importance of the Word of God and the importance of righteousness, the importance of the benefits of your salvation and all the things that will be covered in this great text of Ephesians 6. But folks, the important thing is to understand you are responsible and I'm responsible to resist, have a basic understanding of it, and then put it in balance with what that means in terms of my responsibility and what God does for me. There's the balance I want us to get. So in order to do that, we're going to walk through beginning in verse 10. Let's read this first verse. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The Apostle Paul is writing this to a people in Ephesus. It's a people uh, prior to Christianity particularly, but the people of Ephesus would be a people who were very, very, very conscious of, of evil spirits. And so they were a people who were captured in fear. And Paul understood that. He's talking to the Christians now who have been scared of all these spirits and all. And he says, now look, yeah, there is a battle. you got to know your enemy. We've been talking about who the enemy and his allies are. But he says, now you need to know there's a means to protect yourself. There really is. And he's going to use, in a few minutes as we get to it, he's going to use these pieces of armor for a soldier in battle, and he's going to use them as word pictures and memory aids so that we might have a better remembrance of what these pieces of the armor are. I think it may be worth our while when we finish this to, to say, I'm going to memorize the six and keep referring to what each means. If this is our protection, we probably want to know how to utilize it. The word be strong that we just read, it's interesting, it's in the present tense, which means continually keep up, keep on, keep on resisting. But it's also in the passive mood. Let me explain that. You understand past tense and present tense, but when we talk about the mood, it means you can take a particular verb here and you can see now how do I relate to this activity is it something that's happening to me am I passive in this or is it something I am to do and I'm active it's interesting that this word though keep on is in the passive mood which means basically keep on being strengthened oh not just keep on making yourself strong that's not what it's saying It's saying, keep on being strengthened. It's something I'm responsible to do, but what I'm responsible to do is to have God and to invite him to do for me what I can't do for myself. Almost seems contradictory, doesn't it? But it's not. I've got to be responsible to keep looking to him to do something for me, and that is my protection. In the strength of his might. The little phrase, in the strength of his might there. Uh, That means to clothe oneself. It's the idea of of putting on garments. So in other words, uh, clothe yourself with strength. Where do we get our strength? From God. Maybe you're familiar with John 15, 5, about the vine and the branches. It said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, and here's a key phrase, apart from me, you can do Nothing. And so what we're seeing here is the, is the apostle is saying, do you understand that we are so prone to using what we have at our own disposal to take care of ourselves? All right, I've got, I've got some uh, moral righteousness of my own, don't I? I'm pretty good, aren't I? Well, I'll protect myself with that. Oh, and I've got some fairly good mental acumen. I'll just, uh, I'll think and I'll be the one to I can figure it out. I'll figure out how to get through this thing. I've got some moral fortitude. I'm a pretty good person. I don't do real bad things, so I'll stick it out. He says, no, 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 no. you got to go into this battle assuming that you, if not helped, are in huge trouble. Understand? Got to understand that. So now he goes to verse 11, and this is how he says it in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. Now, full is referring to each piece. Don't just take parts of it, put on the whole armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, this idea of schemes literally is the word trickery. So he says, you've got to understand that he's going to trick you before you, can, you don't figure it out. So you got to be aware. That's where he's coming. Then you look at verse 12. "'For our struggle is not against flesh and blood.'" But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Well, we've been walking through that in the previous messages of this series. Got to know the enemy and who that enemy enemy is. But that word struggle, it's an interesting word. It's a word used of a wrestler. And so for the reader, they're going to immediately think of, of the one who is the struggler, the wrestler. And wrestling was a big thing in, the, in this particular day of, of Ephesus. In fact, they had matches that were such that they knew if you lose the wrestling bout, or I don't know if you call it a match or, or bout, whatever, but if you lose, your eyes would be gouged out. You probably wanted to win the match. I mean, that was probably fairly significant of importance, you know. Because the, the, I'm telling you, the risks were so enormous. The consequence is so great. They'd say, man, we're not taking this one lightly. And so the apostle Paul is saying, Christian, let's, don't take this stuff lightly. You need to be protected. Why do you think you're struggling in the way you are? It's because you don't have, you're not utilizing the protection that's available for so many of us. So we want to understand this. Then you come to verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist. There's that key word again. Resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Now, we come now to the The pieces of armor themselves. And again, these are teaching aids. They're they're memory aids. So he's going to put a a picture before you of a, a soldier and start walking through all the armor that a soldier has. And he's going to relate it to some aspect of our own protection where God is teaching us other places in Scripture. This is what you need to do in order to resist. Now, I want to make it as simple as possible And therefore, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this in terms of the temptations that are coming toward us. I'm going to take each piece of the armor and try to direct it at what's the primary issue at stake here, and why do we need that piece of armor? So you have your outlines. I'll put it up here real quickly, and let's walk through what I'm going to call six ways Christians are tempted and the resources that we need to resist. Let's look at number one. First of all, the temptation to be insincere. It's going to talk about the belt of truth as the answer. And we get our text in Ephesians 6, verse 14. It begins like this. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Now, this idea of a belt, and when it says girding your loins, it's a girdle, actually. It would look more like a girdle. Uh, we would call it a belt. But this was something that was the first thing that you would want to put on as a soldier. Uh, You would have a, uh, a short tunic that you would be wearing, and you would place this around you, and it's upon this that you would hang your dagger, which was very important to you. And so it was a critical, critical article that you had to put on. When he calls it the belt of truth... He's not talking here. Understand that he's not talking about the belt of speaking the truth. That might be a subset. But what he's really saying is live the truth. He said here's where it begins. You live the truth. That's another way of saying you can't be phony and resist the evil one. Don't play the game of spiritual person. Live the life of just the opposite. It ain't going to work. You're going to be a target of the evil one. You truly a Christian? But you're pretending to be something you're not? Even though a Christian, but living like, oh, I'm a real faithful, but you know the darkness of the heart and where you're living and how you're... He says, "Uh uh-uh, that's phony living. Big, big, big trouble when you live the phony life. It's very interesting here, the word sincere that's used in the text. That word actually says to judge by sunlight. And here's what, here's what comes to mind to a person of that day reading the text. They would think of a potter who would have the pottery for sale. And, and often what they would do is they would crack their pottery and it would be a wasted piece to be thrown away and they don't want to lose the money. So what they do, they take beeswax and they would fill in the cracks, and then they would fire it and put some stuff over it, and it would look to the naked eye as if everything were perfectly legitimate and fine. But people learned what was happening, so they'd take that, and they would hold it up to the sun. And when they went up to the sun, they could see the fracture inside it. And they'd say, hey, this is a phony article. This isn't good. I'm not, it's, not, it's not what it was supposed to be. So when he says, live a sincere life, that's all he's saying. Don't live the phony life. Now you're really in trouble, so you've got to have the belt of truth. Look at number two, and I think these two go so hand in hand. Interesting they're one and two in his list. The temptation to disobey, he calls it the breastplate of righteousness in Ephesians 6, continuing in verse 14, he says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, The breastplate was uh, made of interwoven chains that were put together uh, to make, and it actually would would fit over you. It had a hinge at the top, and it would fit over you so your front and back would be covered. It was literally like carrying these little chains around. But the good news is, unless there was a hole in it, a knife, a dagger could not at all hurt you. You just hit it and bounce off. And so what he's saying here is, you look. Oh, you be careful, make sure you've got the breastplate on. And by the way, if you were fighting, you would look and see, are there any holes? Because those chains would break. And then you'd see an opening, that's where they'd want to put their sword. He says, put on the breastplate of what? Of righteousness. Now here's the key. Righteousness here can be taken one of two ways, and we have to figure out its context. And I'm going to suggest it's going to be the latter of two. The first is the righteousness that comes from salvation. Baby Christians, you that are seeking the faith, had not heard much of this, there's a term justification. It has to do with the time of salvation, that point at which we are justified or declared righteous. And so we call that the point of righteousness. That's the righteousness of justification. There's a term that says, now, after you've been justified, you want to keep being set apart more and more into the likeness of God, and we're going to call that being sanctified. But there's the righteousness that comes from the process of sanctification. That's what's being referred to here. This is a, a righteousness of sanctification. We become very vulnerable to him when we have unconfessed sin, when we're living unrighteously. So he puts this phony idea, you need to be living in sincerity, and then he talks about righteousness as the result of confessing our sin, we can live righteously. So let's put it together practically. How does this benefit us day to day? Well, I find that, that for me, truth is one of my four life values. I pray my four life values virtually every day, at least once. I start my day, it's a rare, rare, rare day that I don't begin, by praying through my four life values, and one of them is truth. So I declare to the Lord by his strength, I'm resolved to live by faith, with integrity, and then it's according to truth. And so I'm saying, Lord, I've got to embrace the truth today. I cannot embrace the lies of the world. I've got to embrace the truth. And then lastly, to love God and man. Same four values we've adopted as our church, four values. But that's very important that I start there. God, it's it's truth. Today, that's where I'm set. I want to be, I I don't want to be phony. But then what happens? I start my day, I sin, you sin, we all do. And and I start, oh man, why did I do that? And why did I have that attitude? And why didn't I trust God for that? And I realize I've got to confess now. If not, I'm not going to be living a righteous life when I identify that there's unconfessed sin that hasn't been dealt with. And now is the time to say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for that. I want to be cleansed of that. And now my righteousness is restored. And so what he's saying is, it's truth and it's righteousness. You start with the truth, not a phony, but as you fall, you get back up through confession. And that goes on and on and on. That's the Christian life. No no, uh, surprise that those two would be first in my book. Look at number three. Now it's the temptation to worry. Now we're touching all of us. The footwear of peace Ephesians 6.15 says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that idea of preparation is foundation. So he says, now I want you to shod your feet. Now this is the sandals that a soldier would wear. They were studded with nails in the bottom, unlike one thing we would wear. They're outdoors, and they're traversing the terrain that's rough and different and so forth, so they had to make sure that they had a solid foundation. And so he says here, that particular foundation is the footwear of peace. Now, there's peace of God or with God, and then there's the peace we get from God. I wouldn't separate the two. I think he's talking about here the peace that we have, that we need every day. When worry starts to uh, consume us, we have to deal with that worry. What do we need? We need peace. It's peace of mind. Where does peace of mind come from? It's fountainhead is the peace that we have with God. If you don't have peace with God, a person cannot have the same kind of peace. I am absolutely convinced. And so he's saying, look, you're going to worry. And if you start worrying, oh, my goodness, now you're in big trouble because that worry, you're unstable. You're going to slip and slide. You're not going to make it. You need to have those, those feet with the nails coming out of it. And there's your, that's peace. So got to pursue peace. Then we come to uh, number four. Number four, the temptation to doubt, the shield of faith found in Ephesians 6, verse Verse 16. Uh, It says, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Hmm. Now you need to know that the soldier within, he's got his shoes on, he's got his belt and and he's got his breastplate and all that. Now he wants to pick up his shield and he has this shield that's two feet wide and, and about four and a half feet deep. That's to cover his vitals. So he can go into battle and know that he's going to be shot at. And so arrows were a common means of taking life. And so they had the bow and arrow, or they would have launching means to throw arrows. And they, these arrows would just come at you. So you'd keep that. When the arrows are coming, you, you keep the shield in front of you. Well, the interesting thing is that the shield would be made of wood and the wood, it would be two pieces of wood that were put together so it was substantial enough to stop the arrow from coming through. But the problem was, so many of the arrows were lit with fire that they would burn up the shield. And so, what they do, they cover it with leather. And when you cover it with leather, it would embed in the leather and it would extinguish the fire. And so, he's got a picture here for those that were familiar with the armor to say, okay, what are these fiery arrows? And there's the tribulation, the challenges, the pain, the heartache, the stuff that's coming at you, even by means of the evil one so often. And he says, make sure that you have the ability to stop the fiery missiles. And so, you know, what happens when I lose my notes and I realize I'm in deep trouble? Sunday's coming and there's no time to prepare. Well, my first thought was not the right thoughts. My first thought was, who did it and how, why they do it? And did somebody steal it? Did they, you know, somebody throw it away while they clean the room? Or what's the deal? And now I've got to well, find it. I'll find it. And boy, my heart was just racing like, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I've got to have this back. I even tried to see if I could go back to Greenville, get in the dumpster and go look for it. And they told me the dumpster had come two hours earlier. Couldn't go do that. I was like... Yeah, I realized, I did, I, right in the middle of it, I said, Randy, where are you going with this? This is it, It's not going to make a difference. It's not going to change. Do you not believe God? Do you not believe that he has control and that, that he works things together for good to those that love him? Do you not believe that? And then it was, it was a shift. I had to battle. It wasn't like, oh, okay, I'm good with it. No, it was like a battle constantly trying to figure, you know, what do I do with this thing? But it was a battle at least, and I was constantly thinking, what's the truth? What's the truth? Well, I don't want to doubt God's sovereignty. I don't want to doubt his goodness, his control of things. But that's the natural tendency. So what do we do? We go back to the drawing board and say, okay, God, I've got to have the shield of faith. I've got to trust in you. And that's the process of the Christian interacting with his God and coming to live by faith and not by simply how we feel. Number five, the temptation of self-reliance, he says, you got to put on the helmet now of salvation, Ephesians 6, 17. It goes like this, and take the helmet of salvation. That's all it says, the helmet of salvation. So we have to kind of study and dig in there to figure out, well, what is he really saying when he talks about this helmet of salvation? He's not, I don't think, talking about, uh, go back to your first conversion experience of salvation. I think what he's talking about here are the many benefits that come from salvation. Think about the holistic concept of salvation. You're his. Look at the benefits that are yours as one that's been taken from the nakedness of sin to being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Look at the many, many benefits that come your way because if not, you're going to start relying on your own strength. You'll have nothing else. Think about what he does for you, not what you can do for you now. Self-reliance versus, no, grab hold of the helmet of your salvation. That's what's... The helmet is over the mind, too. And I think there's something to that as he's talking about here, this faith. It's something that you have to come to the truth in your mind in order to live with. The last one is the temptation of helplessness. It's the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6, 17 Continues says, "And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God." So we know we're talking about the word of God there, and, and that word, use the word of God, is unlike the word logos that we use, which is the word it refers to Jesus. This particular word talks about the written declaration, command, or promise. So now he's saying, if you're going to find yourself in a place of helplessness, you're tempted to say, uh, "What do I do?" I no. Grab hold of the Word of God. Find out what it has to say. And literally, it's the sword given by the Spirit, applied by the Spirit to the heart. And so what we want to do as we find ourselves being tempted and feeling so helpless is saying, well, God, what do you say? And and Lord, would by your Spirit, would you apply it to my heart? where I might be able to understand and embrace and utilize the truth that I find. I think this is why it's so very, very important. So important that we learn to study the Bible or get in the Word on a regular basis. It'd be interesting to know, without hand raise it'd, be, it'd just be interesting to know, how many of us make it a daily practice to be in the Word of God? Well, if I were asking a non-church crowd, you know it would be virtually zero, very little, a little read here or there maybe. But really getting in the Word on a daily basis, we wouldn't find that. I would assume that among the better churches of today that the percentage would be staggeringly scary to see how many make it an everyday practice. I'm hoping that you do, and I'm hoping if you don't know how, which would be one good reason not to, that you will learn how. And that's why we have our journey groups. That's why we have training around here. Everybody that's a member now has been put into teams with our our, um, uh, elders just in terms of oversight. You know, when you find who the elder is, say, hey, that's something I really want to learn how. Help me out. Very important. I remember this when I was a young Christian. I asked a Christian mentor of mine, I said, I want to know what one thing I should do I can't do 10 things. If I can only do one thing, what do I do to get where I want to go spiritually? And he says, it's getting in the Word of God and it is memorizing and meditating on Scripture. The last thing I wanted to hear because I hate memorization, just hate it. But this person said, if you'll memorize Scripture on a regular basis, you'll be amazed how it'll wash your mind, it'll touch your heart. It'll change your life when you don't even know it. Just get in the Word. And so I was talking, okay, just keep memorizing Scripture. Keep going over it, keep going over it, keep going over If you forget it, that's okay, but just keep it washing over your mind and so forth. I can, now, I, who knows the hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of times that I've had to go to Colossians 3. I was told as a young Christian, why don't you, why don't you memorize Colossians 3 and just pray that back to God when you're tempted. When I read Colossians 3, I understood why I was told Colossians 3. It starts, if then you've been raised up in Christ, set your mind on the things above and not on the things of earth. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life revealed, you'll be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the mirror. I could just go on and on. Why? Because I've said it so many hundreds and hundreds of times. I say, God, I've got to set my things on, mind on the things above right now because they're not there. And just carry it through. I want to encourage you Christians, be, be committed to finding out How do I get into the Word a little bit every day so that it's going to mark my life forever? Put on that very important piece, the Word of God, okay? Now, that completes each of the six pieces of the armor. It is interesting that he adds verse 18. Look what he says in verse 18. He adds prayer, not as a piece of the armor, but he says, with all prayer and petition, prayer is a more general term. Petition is specifically asking God for specific things. Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So that's how he ends it, really saying, if, if you're not going to be a person of prayer, then you're going to be in danger. A person who is prayerless will be a Christian who is struggling. So very important to have that. Now, I want to put up the, the pieces together now and just look at it as we conclude. Here they are, insincerity, truth disobedience, righteousness worry, peace doubt, faith self-reliance salvation's benefits hopelessness, the word of God and then add to that prayer Uh, if I were you I would take, now that's in our our notes if you go online and, and see on our website on each message, you get my notes with it and you'll see that on there so I would take those few and just try to memorize them, just walk through them and keep them before you for at least a week or so, just think about it and as you're in battle, you're praying, you say, Lord, I'm seeing these areas and let me, let me embrace these through the day. Now, let's make sure we get the bigger picture and we understand this. Much is at stake. Much is at stake in neglecting the things, the concepts, the truths that we've just heard. There's a whole lot at stake. And, and we... We have got to be faithful if we're going to be protected. We've got to, we've got to work hard at these things. If you hear me say that, you're going to come to a wrong conclusion if that's where I stop. Because you're going to get the impression that it's what we do that makes the difference. Hmm. Understand this. You and I find our acceptance from God and it has nothing to do with what we do. I mean, our acceptance is there because we have been clothed in our nakedness, though trying to clothe ourselves in our self-righteousness, we realize our nakedness, we feel the shame, and hopefully like some of you that are seekers, we'll turn to the cross and you'll look for what he's done for us. And what happens then is you get clothed with his righteousness. And I'm going to repeat this for several weeks coming. I want this to be just drilled in your mind. We're clothed with his righteousness. At that moment, you understand that he sees us as nothing but righteous? He sees us nothing but righteous. And that has to do with our acceptance. But let me ask you this. Let's assume that we don't pursue any of the pieces of armor We're unfaithful in each of these areas, and we are just getting beat up, defeated, and I mean just in a horrible state spiritually. But let's assume we are covered in his righteousness. My question would be this, does Jesus see our sin? And there's some that say, "Mm, no, he just sees us in his righteousness. Wrong. Oh, he sees our sin. Let me ask you this Does he grieve over our sin? Absolutely, he grieves over our sin. Does he get angry with us over our sin? Oh, yes, he does. But if God were to come to this earth, let's say that Christ were to come to this earth at that moment in that condition. And he comes and walks up to us and sees us in that condition, yet clothed in his righteousness. Do you know what he would do? He would come up to you. He'd come up to me. He would grab us. He would hug us. And he would say, I love you fully, regardless of how you're living. My love is not changed. Do you understand that? Boy, it's amazing. We love extremes because there's no tension. Oh, we want to believe over here. I can just earn my righteousness. I'll just be good enough. And that's all about me. And I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. It's all about me. And if I'm not, he'll... And then we'll, no, no, no. We we'll want to be over here and say, oh, you know, God never gets angry. He doesn't, he doesn't know. He just sees me in my righteousness. It really doesn't matter. No. No less than it would matter to you as a parent when you see your child who is just groveling in life and, and doing stuff that's killing them and, and just crazy stuff that's ruining the life that they have that you long for them to enjoy. And you'd be so, you'd be very aware of their, of their ways. You would grieve over their ways. You'd be angry at their ways. But the only reason is because you love them so much, right? That's the love of the Father. And so please keep this acceptance and His ways and our responsibilities. Keep them together. They don't have to be exclusive of one another. They go together. And I'll tell you, when you begin to see yourself in your deserved nakedness and realize that's where you've been found, and then you see that he has clothed you in his righteousness, when you get those two fixed firmly in your thinking and in your mind and in your heart, that's when you run to the armor store And you start looking for a helmet and some shoes and a breastplate, and you say, God, not to protect me, but for your honor. That's when you'll find the armor of God, everything you need. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray. Thank you for providing armor. We want to be faithful, and we want to do it not just to do it, but to do it for the right reason, because we just love you. Thank you for loving us first. And now, Lord, as uh, as we close... You just be honored by the responses of our hearts, however we we relate to you now, even beyond this prayer. We thank you for the cross. May we find that cross everything we need. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast.